What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. All right, today we are going to be covering the financial golden rule. But before we do, Russ, there's a there's a golden rule for men. I thought you had a story about that, didn't you? There, there is a golden rule for men. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but when you don't have your clothes on as a man or you're using the restroom, you cannot talk to other men. That's just, that's, that's just the pure, simple fact that needs to be across the board the the dude or broism, no way to talk to a dude if you don't have your clothes on. Totally off limits. I it, totally it agree. Is. Okay, so here here's here's an example of this, right? So this gym I work out in, <laughs> I love this place. There's lots of wisdom in the room. Another way to say that we have a lot of older gentlemen that work out there, <laughs> and I do. I, I I love talking to them. They always have amazing stories. And there's this one guy that shares stories with me all the time. I just always run into him in the locker room. Mm. And I don't know what it is about older guys. They're super comfortable with themselves, and and they can pull off a swimsuit and sit in a chair with no pants on and hold a seven to ten minute conversation with you. Like, there's no problem. Eyeball to eyeball. Well, it's not. It's eyeball to the side of my head because I'm trying my best not to look, right? (laughs) And this is constant. I mean, unfortunately, this guy is constantly – you know, just, you know, getting ready. It's not like, he's not like exposing himself to me. Um, It's not anything weird. It's just, it is weird, right? I'm just not confident or comfortable enough to be around other dudes with their pants off. And so here I am. He's just open air about it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's free willing. Free, free, free loving. This is like the, the Tom Petty um, uh, playoff, not free falling, but free balling. Okay. (laughs) So, this guy and I've been in there with other, you know, other guys I'm working out with, and they, 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 they're with me, right? Like as soon as, as soon as he comes in, it's like, how quickly can we get out of here? Because I know what's coming next, right? It's just, it's, it's just the process, right? So, Inevitable. And, and there's, it's just this conversation. So here, here's the story today, man. He he comes in, and I'm I'm talking to my brother-in-law, Matt, and. <laughs> And he walks into the door, and I can see him in my peripheral, and he's just standing there, Joey, with a swimsuit on. Oh, okay, with swim. Okay. He's with his swimsuit, holding his towel. Okay. And Matt and I are just having a conversation, and he's not moving. And I'm like, okay, something's up. I know he's he, ready. He wants to, to get a word in. I'm. I know he's ready to engage the conversation. So, once Matt and I finish talking, I look over. I say, Hey, Don, how's it going? He looks at me. Said, All right, Russ. What do you notice? What do you notice is different? And so here's here's a guy probably in his 80s that's just in a swimsuit, pair of flip flops, holding a, a towel under his arm. And, and Joey, 
I am sweating bullets trying to figure out what is he asking me. He's like, you you feel a lot of pressure right now. Yeah. I mean, the first thing's going through my mind is you're wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's like totally uh, different than normal. What? I mean, what could he possibly be asking me here? And, and you're not that observant anyway. I, I'm not naturally. Like, like, did you get a haircut? Yeah. You know, like did you get a mole removed. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at your bare chest as it is. And by the way, I'm not comfortable with that. Let's just <laughs> let's just be honest. Like, let's just let's all just just you know cover up for a little bit yes, here. Yes. And, and he's like, my chair's gone. I'm like, oh, they they did move the chair. And he's referred to the chair that he will sit in butt naked. <laughs> The naked chair. It's the naked chair. It's the chair that he gets in butt naked. And you know the next guy that comes in right after him just sits down in. Oh, yeah. This is not this has not been sanitized. <laughs> There's no way to sanitize it. What are you talking about sanitizing? You think the lady in the gym comes in there and wipes that thing down with like hand sanitizer? No. No. So he wanted you to notice. He wanted me to notice that his chair was gone. And I'm like, does that mean he won't pull down his pants and sit in there for five minutes and talk to me? Like, this is an amazing thing. You're thinking this is a win. I'm thinking I should have come up with this idea a long time ago. Like, I should have. Why have I been putting up with this? I should have removed this chair from the from the room. Which the chair was located where? In the room. It's just like in the corner, but right next to the stinking door. So you have to pass by it. There's no way. So he will he, get undressed. Sit in the chair. And by the way, I think he sits in the chair so he can like put on his pants. I, I you know, again, I, I, I know we're making light of this, but he is an older guy. But yeah, then, but he'll sit there, and I have to walk by him. And of course, I'm trying to scoot out the door as fast as I can. Yeah, and don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact, which is okay when you're getting dressed off to the side. You can like pretend that hey, I'm not being disrespectful or being rude. I'm like just trying to get dressed on my own. I got to go. But then I'll go to walk by me like, hey, Russ, one more thing. And, oh. so, and so then I'm shoulder to shoulder with him. <laughs> Free balling. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, man. Those are painful moments. Yeah, what are, what, what are you supposed to look at? Yeah. <laughs> you look at the wall? You try to look. I mean, it's not like I can look at his eyes because I'm standing over the top of him. There is no other viewpoint. This does not go well. So anyway, I, I don't know what today's podcast even is about anymore because I'm so enamored with the, 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 the men's the golden rule for men. The golden rule for men. Okay, it's the golden rule for Bunny today. The I, financial golden rule. That's that's awesome. Like, We're getting into it. This is it. Thank you for listening to my rant today. Can we say it? Let's belly up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the IBC Roundtable, where each week we go deep into your favorite subject, the infinite banking concept. I am one of your hosts, Russ, the Idea Guy Morgan, and I'm surrounded by the best coaches in the infinite banking world. To my right, my co-host, 
the man we like to refer to as the Italian Stallion, and he's got the license plate plate to prove it. <laughs> Mr. Joey Murray. What's up, Joey? <laughs> I definitely do have that license plate. And my wife is embarrassed beyond belief. <laughs> like she's like, do you really have to have the sequin Italian style? It doesn't have sequins, but it might as well. Cause it, she's like, I'm so embarrassed driving your car. Yeah, it is shiny. It does need a couple little like silver horses on that thing, doesn't it? <laughs> On either side, that would be, be an upgrade for next birthday. That'd be solid. That's an add-on. <laughs> All right. Well, we got downtown Ernie Brown sitting with us today. What's up, Ernie? Hey, Russ. I am good, and I'm glad to be alive. Yeah, we we had a road had to ride out a little tornado over here, didn't we? Yeah, cutting it close. Yeah, it really, really was. It it missed Joey's house by maybe a mile, maybe maybe, and missed my house probably by a mile. And then was south of the office here, maybe by a mile and a half. That's so amazing. We were we were in the line, but we're thankful to be talking to you. Now, across the table, we have the man between two bamboos, our resident pilot, the guy who can get you home safely financially, Mark the Gooch Harguchi. What's up, Mark? Not much, guys. It's nice to be about, you know, 2,600 miles away from the tornadoes. So that's how much they missed me by. <laughs> yeah. Barely missed you. Yes. You're safe. I love it. And Mr. Incredible, the million dollar smile, JD Hill. What's up, JD? Uh, I can ask you a quick, quick question. Were, were they cutting your hair during the tornado? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was mean. That wasn't nice. I'm sorry. Oh, my uh, goodness. Man. So good. Yes. They just, it just it got a little shady. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. What's well, sad when the lady who's cutting your hair is like saying she's nervous when other people are cutting her hair now that she is a you know a hairdresser or whatever, she watches them. Yet her haircut looked a, a lot like mine. And I'm thinking, okay. mm, wow. How close are you watching? Wow. Right. She just graduated. But she had the 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 shears the scissor shears tattoo on the forearm so you know she's committed it was absolutely committed yeah i think she was just released but yes it it was close <laughs> i know a lot of people when they're learning to do tattoos they tattoo themselves so maybe that was a previous career <laughs> yeah or maybe that's trans, some transition practice hey look i i'm just saying you, it's hard to mess, mess up this haircut that's I've, true I, she was like, she was successful. Though. Yeah, it, it works. All right. She was now, successful. On to something more important. I don't think everybody want to listen to our little sidebar here. We are here to talk about those who have the gold make the rules, otherwise known as the financial golden rule, Joey. That's right. Now, what do you think when you hear financial golden rule, those who have the gold make the rules? What's the first thought that comes to mind? My first thought is you got to have access to cash. If you don't have access to cash, you're constantly going to be playing by somebody else's rules. And we see that play out in a lot of different things I'm sure we're going to dive into, but that's the first thing that I, I think of. Talk to me, Goose. What do you think, Aaron? Ooh, threw me off there. I thought you were talking to Mark. It makes me think uh, all the times where we heard Nelson talk about the traditional financial situation that modern Americans find themselves in and that they have to let someone else play the banking function in their lives because they don't have the cash or access to the cash to at least be able to do that themselves. So Mark, why don't more people have access to cash? Well, I mean, if, if, if we can solve that problem, I, I, I think the world's going to spin a little bit easier. <laughs> um, 
I, I think that that is, it really is a can of worms. There's a whole reason, a holster reasons why, why people don't, don't have access to cash. I, I think a lot of it just comes from, well, what were you taught? You know, what, what did you learn? What was your foundation of, of how money works and, and how that system plays out? Because let's face it, we are, you know, what we see is normally what we're going to emulate. So if, if that's what you grew up around, then maybe you're carrying on those traits or maybe you've broken out of them and, and, and you're now on the path of, of productive saving and being able to leverage that savings to go find opportunities. JD, I think cash is like ridiculously expensive and most people are not willing to save it because they know how expensive it is. So they won't keep cash on hand. That's my reason. What's your thought as the reason why people don't have access or don't have cash in general? Well, hold on, hold on. You can't have JD jump in there and say something like that and not like stand up behind it. What? What are you talking what about? What cash is expensive? What does that even mean? Well, just take the like the most absurd example of how many people do you know stuff large amounts of cash underneath their mattress? Legally? <laughs> Yeah, I know all the, everybody who owns a cannabis business is doing it, right? <laughs> if you're in the drug cartel, you're, you're maximizing the mattress. Whether it's legal or illegal, you got nowhere to, to put the cash. So your mattress is is a one stop for it. But why isn't that mainstream America puts money underneath their mattress? Because they're scared of somebody coming in and that's stealing. a lie. That's a lie. I mean, yeah. be honest. I mean, like if you were scared of somebody coming in and breaking your house, you wouldn't live in the neighborhood. That's true. Right? Like, I mean, how does people know that you don't have money underneath your mattress? It's not secure. That's that's what I would say. That's why I don't put it in a mattress. But the, no, the, it's under the mattress and they're hearing on the radio, you can get eight to twelve percent on gross stock mutual funds. It, exactly. People won't keep money underneath their mattress because they intuitively they don't have to understand the Federal Reserve is printing money. Uh digitally in a way that is reducing the actual purchasing power of the dollar. They don't have to understand the inflation. They don't have to understand monetary policy to realize cash is expensive because the simplest way is if it, it, they didn't see that they would leave it stored up in their house somewhere and they don't. So a checking account and your mattress have the same exact return. Okay. So that's what you're saying is the lost opportunity, the availability of cash is not the problem. It's the fact that if it's in a place that's not earning anything, it's expensive. It's expensive, okay. right? It's expensive because it costs money, right? As we've seen this year, what's the price of oil going at the, at, at the pump? You know, gasoline at the pump has gone up, what, 30%? At least, yeah. So, I mean, we know it's expensive, right? The same $2 I could have pulled out from underneath my mattress no longer gets me a gallon of gas. It gets me 67% of a, a gallon. That's right. True? Yeah. Okay. You, you don't have to keep well, going. I just wanted to make sure you stood behind what you're saying, explained it. Now, what was JD going to say? I'm sorry. Why well, you guys just completely derailed me. I have to collect my thoughts now. <laughs> well, no, I think it's also expensive for another reason, and that's because we're consumers, right? Like consumerism is real. And if money sits in my checking account and, and I'm not responsible enough to, to steward it, I'm going to spend it. And well, I won't, my wife will, but, but it's going to get spent, right? Some, she's not listening, thank goodness. Right. But it's going to get spent in one way or another. Right. And so I think that's another reason why it's also expensive, but, but also because of just capitalism, right? Man, we, we live in a world. Go ahead. No, this is a moment. Like it reminds me of like Eddie Murphy raw when his mom was on the phone and he was doing something. <laughs> And this is like, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on, sweetie. 
Like JD's gonna get hit by a shoe in a second. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, no, I, I made sure that she wasn't at home uh, when I said that, so I'm 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 at least aware of my surroundings. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's it's capitalism at its finest, I think, in that um, you know we are marketed to so well to spend money. And, and so that's what we want to do. We want to keep up with the people around us optically. And so I think that's a lot of reasons too, um, you know, why people don't have a lot of savings. And I, I think to add to that is, and you said, you guys have all kind of walked around this, but we have been like lulled to sleep on actually being educated ourselves on what to do with money. And we've been taught to take the financial easy button. And that is Wall Street, right? It's like, oh, I could just shove money in my 401k or IRA, pick out of the top, you know, returning fund from last year and I'm good, right? That, I'm golden. I don't have to do anything else. And yeah, I've got times. So who cares if it goes down? That, that's the process. So we don't know what to do with money. So we don't want lots of cash sitting around because yes, one, A, we spend it. Or B, it's expensive sitting there in our checking accounts. That's not working for us. But the main reason, C, is we wouldn't know what to do with it if we had it. Dude, you're, you're absolutely speaking the truth. And over the last, I would say, four or five years, you and I have even been a part of that. Okay? It's like, if you'd asked us four or five years ago, I've got all this money in my policy. This, by the way, this is why you check in to the Wealth Without Wall Street show is because you are practicing IBC and you're trying to one, become a master of it. And then two, know what to do with the cash now that you have it. If you'd asked Russ and I four or five years ago, what do you do with the money? It's in your policy. We would have had very few answers. I'm talking, Hey, you could lend it out. You could pay for a car. Like it was very, very few options, but it's because we were in the same boat. We didn't have money readily available until we built up our own banks in these policies. And I'll give you one, one example. Like just the other day, I was meeting with a friend of mine. He's just sold a house because of the show he's been listening to. He's like, well, I didn't put all that money into the new house because I didn't want to lock it up again. So I put down as little as they, as they would require me on the new mortgage. And now I've got all this cash. What do I do with it? And literally I was like, it was like, I know all these things now because we've been studying it and we've been looking for them and we have cash. So opportunities have found us, but I was immediately reminded, like, if you not had cash, you don't have any context. What do I do with it from here? And so that's the, that's the beauty of IBC. That's the unseen. When you start putting money into your control, you find opportunities, you, you become educated because you have to tell it what to do now. And uh, anyway, so, it's just along the same lines. Just remind me of that story from a couple of days ago. Total. I, I think that we we miss the the value of knowing what to do. And I, I know you and I need to actually get to work on that. We need to build a course for someone who comes into cash and says, "What now?" Because Wealth of Wall Street is not your your off Wall Street Wall Street. Yeah. Like it, this isn't the place to come to say, "Okay, give me the financial easy button that isn't a stock or mutual fund," because that it doesn't exist. It is the very similar thing where when, when deals go bad that people get involved in, a lot of times it's because they don't understand what's going on. They don't have any context. They can't inspect what they expect from the property, right? Because they don't know what's going on. 
100%. So we've got to help people understand those who have the gold, though, do make the rules. And as Nelson talked about this in his book a lot, is that we are subject to other people's rules because now we've given them gold. I think one of the, and I don't have a book in front of me, but one of the first paragraphs and one of the first chapters of the book, Nelson went on to say, if some authoritative power dis equally distributed all the money in the world within a period of a handful of years, 97% of all the money would reside in the hands of 3% of the people. And that's on purpose. It, it is literally that, why is it that the 3% would have all the money or at least have control of it? Because they understand that they can now make the rules. If they have access, if you give them access or control, and, and I, I think it's even been quoted in like the, the Creature of Jekyll Island and other books like that, with the Federal Reserve, give me the control of the monetary system and I can control everything. Yeah, I don't need the money. Just give me the, the ability to control it. Exactly. But I also say the flip side is, is because the 97% doesn't know what to do with it. They're so afraid of having it that they'll give it away. Now, when someone starts looking into this, um, this concept of infinite banking, sometimes they're frightened by the fact that it's life insurance and life insurance is something that they're not used to. And when they look a little bit deeper, they start to look into the fact that they actually would be saving money, which is a really foreign concept. Okay. I've heard enough about infinite banking. I'm pretty sure it's a fit for me and my family, Russ. How do I get started? Let's take that pretty sure and make it darn sure. The reason you do that is that you get clarity, Joe. You need to get on a 15-minute call with one of our coaches at wealthwellwallstreet.com forward slash free call. Then you'll know where you're starting from and where you're headed. And only then can you implement the infinite banking process. All right. So go to wealthwellwallstreet.com forward slash free call to get that 15 minute conversation, gain clarity. But now let's jump back into today's episode. JD, I think you did a little research for us on the actual savings of the American public, right? Because this is, I think, a real issue here. And we talk about this a lot is that when People are practicing infinite banking. They end up with more cash. They can do more deals than the average person. But JD, you mind like sharing some of those statistics that you found about this? Yeah. And I think, you know, this just big picture, you know, this obviously isn't meant to, to condemn people, but rather to draw attention to right what's happening. Because oftentimes we tend to compare ourselves to the people around us. And the reality is, is that if we looked at the people around us and said, hey, do I want their financial life? Most people would say no. And so if that's the case, then why do we compare ourselves to those people? Right. And, and so as I, as I kind of go into this, I think it's important just to understand that this is, this is looking at the U.S. as a whole and just looking at averages. And some of this stuff is just really fascinating. So it says here that 39% of Americans don't have enough money on hand to cover a $400 emergency. Mm. right four out of 10 americans don't have enough money to cover a 400 emergency which i thought was just really staggering and you take it a step further and it says that about 56 percent of americans have five thousand dollars or less in savings while a third have a thousand dollars or less and only 71 percent of americans have a savings account Right. And so when you think about just, just raw savings in general, there's, there's not a lot going to savings and candidly, I think that's done. That's, that's, that's being done and taught by default. Meaning if you think about 
the mission of Wall Street and you think about the, the financial rules, if my money is sitting in the bank, Wall Street doesn't make any money with it sitting there, right? So they've got to try to find a way to get into their hands. And so this is where those good, like Ernie said, those good growth stock mutual funds come into play, <laughs> right? Because I don't want my money sitting in the bank earning zero. I need to go get it earning you know, an average of 12. Well, I think one of the things is to say, oh, well, everybody's broke. But in my line of business and being, you know, seeing finance, personal financial statements, personal balance sheets for the last 17 years, I will tell you that the majority of the people that, that I see, now granted that people that actually are talking to someone in the financial services business usually don't show up broke. You know, it's not the cartoon where the guy says, I retired yesterday without a dollar in the bank. Now here's your chance to be a hero kind of thing. You don't get a lot of those people. So I, I, I have a skewed viewpoint, but I'm just going to talk as in a general rule of the people that I see and I have seen over the last 17 years is that those averages as far as access to cash is true. They do have very little cash but it doesn't mean they have very little net worth. doesn't mean that they don't have money somewhere. We had a conversation with a guy a couple of days ago, Joey, he was telling us this exact problem. He had money, but his money was not accessible. Yeah. I, and I don't want to steal too much of his thunder because he's going to be coming out on the podcast, but yeah. so you're going to want to pay attention to this. But the big takeaway that I had was this guy was trying to get into the real estate world to start investing. And he went from one company to another. He, in, he was employed at one and then moved to another one. And at the first employer, he could get access to his 401k money through a loan. And so in the process of his transition to the new company, he just assumed he could do the same thing at the new employer. Went and found a rental property, got it under contract, went to get his loan from the 401k. And they said, no, nah, we don't do loans here. He said, what do you mean? He said, I, I, I did a 401k. At, the other place, I just rolled it into this one. It's still my money, like nothing changed. And you're saying, I, I just need to borrow from him. He says, they say, no, we don't do loans for any reason as a custodian of your 401k. And what really jumped out to me was number one, he missed the opportunity. Number two, it put him behind on his journey to financial freedom. But the biggest thing was, is the end of this statement of the financial golden rule is, he who has the gold makes the rules. Well, in the, in the sense where he thought that that money was his, the reality came out that it was never his. It was theirs. He had given up access to his own money by giving it to somebody else. Now they made the rules and dictated to him and it literally put him behind because of that. And I was like, wow, what a clear picture of what we're talking about with the, the financial golden rule. Well, if you can't access the money, which is really the definition of liquidity, right? The ease to turn to cash. And most Americans are in a position where they have very little access to cash. And I think it falls back to one of those three reasons, right? And, and they, they've put it typically in a place that they just can't touch. Now, I think this also applies like Ernie, you were telling us a little bit about you're in the process of trying to buy a house. And I felt like there was something you've run into recently that applied to this. Yeah. Well, in today's market, it's hard to find a deal. So we're only really looking for deals right now. And so Caroline and I went and looked at this house, be a great future rental for us. And 
our realtor that we're using, who's a friend and somebody that we've known, the the whole process is just her main concern is, you know, we can we can look at this, but if somebody's coming with a cash offer, you know, we're just out of luck. You know, you can't compete with that. And so my my first thought was, well, sounds like we need to go get some cash. <laughs> my second thought was, oh, this is so true. Experience in the real world. If you've got cash, you can do what you want. You're going to beat out a lot of people, especially in today's market. Mm. Very true. Mark, you've been quiet over there. That's not like you. <laughs> well, I, I had a couple of ones I wanted to jump in, but man, I just could not find a way to get onto that on-ramp. It was just, it was <laughs> just the one after another just whizzing by. No, I, I was actually thinking of, um, you, you talk about access to cash. Well, there was a great uh, ESPN 30 for 30 a couple of years back, Vince Young, and it was about broke professional athletes. So you want to talk about someone or a group of individuals that is rolling into a tremendous amount of cash. And all of a sudden, how can you go from having a multi-million dollar contract to within a couple of years being broke? And it's like, well, well, now hold on a second. If we're talking about the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules, cash is king. Well, these guys had cash, but what happened? There was no foundation. There was no education. There wasn't a system in place to help them use that the right way. So, you know, even though they, they, they were in a position to do it, they didn't have the education. Like you guys said, you know, rewind the clock a handful of years. Well, we had no idea some of these other opportunities were out there. Short-term rentals, you know, land flipping, you know, different types of lending. But now that we know about it, now that we've educated, right, which is kind of that step two we talk about in the financial hierarchy of control, educating yourself, putting yourself in a position to be able to leverage your most valuable asset, which is you, now you've got those opportunities. Now you can deploy that cash in a responsible manner, guarding the peas, and have it come back to you with friends. Hey, I'm which, glad that you brought, yeah, that you brought up the hierarchy of wealth because I was having that exact conversation this morning with my dentist. We were sitting in there and, you know, kind of just passing the pleasantries and he was asking me some questions. He knows what I, what I do. And the, the conversation, he said, well, let me ask you a question. What's your thoughts on Bitcoin? <laughs> and, and I was like, like what? Like, is it a valuable asset? Is it, you know, do I think the technology behind that is going to be something that's going to be, you know, um, permanent in our in our financial future? What? He's like, well, should I own it? I was like, well, let's talk about the hierarchy of wealth. You know, we've got cash at the bottom. Then we've got controlled assets. Then we have collateralized assets. And then at the top of the pyramid, we've got speculative assets. Where do you think that fits? He said, oh, it's a speculative asset. For sure, it's high risk. I was like, yeah, of course. So do you have the first three layers completely full right now? He's like, well, no. And I think that goes to where we are as individuals too. We want to hit the gas pedal. We want to go to the fast lane, like the attractive nature of what if I would have owned Bitcoin, you know, just last fall to now for every coin I own, I'm up probably $40,000, man. What if, what if I would have owned multiply the number, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the problem with, with thinking that way, that get rich quick thought process. It, it bypasses the learning and the things that we needed to have done. I said, if you don't have cash, then it doesn't matter. 
whether you own Bitcoin or not, right? You got to have cash. Like I didn't want to tell him, yes, I, I own crypto miners, right? I think I have 15 crypto miners currently, but I wasn't going to tell him that because then he'd think it's a good thing for him to do with his money. But, but I've been building up those first three buckets. And I think what we need to know is that you got to have cash at the bottom because cash is what controls everything else we do. Without that, I mean, we just came through the tornado, right? And, you know, th those houses that that tornado bypassed, some of them were rattled more than others, right? Some of them were built in a way stronger foundationally than the other ones were. And I think that we're, we're, we're sitting in a position with finance is that we've got to build our financial house on strong foundations. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I don't want to miss this before we wrap up. We were talking about 401ks being a place where people think that they have money, but when they have to be dictated to by somebody else's rules, this financial golden rule tells you that you don't really own it, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing that I want to point out, and there may be plenty of others, so guys, feel free to, to chime in. But the other thing that I, I know from experience, when I was at Wells Fargo, I'd have people that came in with their equity line statements. And I've said this before on the show and they said, Hey, my equity line, what does this letter mean? It said my line of credit was 250,000. Now it's 80,000. Why? I don't understand that. What, what happened here? And the issue is that the equity in your house you believe is yours. You believe that you have access to that cash, but if you have to access it by access it by means of someone else's rules, is it really yours? And I just want to challenge you. Like if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know about all these opportunities you guys talk about on the show. I don't know how to get to this financial freedom you're talking about. I would challenge you and ask the question, how much of the cash that you think you have, do you have to comply with someone else's rules to obtain? And if they're in these buckets that we're talking about right now, doesn't mean you just stop everything immediately and, and take it all out and all. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about making decisions that put you yourself in control to access that capital. And IBC gives you that. Mm. So be rethinking that whole model. But anything else you guys would add to that, JD, Mark? I would just say, you know, we, we talk about uh, opportunity finds cash. Um, sometimes it's not always a good opportunity that finds the cash. Uh, mm. I was at the outdoor expo yesterday and there were a lot of opportunities for my cash and uh, not all of them were great opportunities, but some of them looked really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. JD final, final words. Well, I was just thinking back to what um, Mark was talking about with, you know, the NFL, not for long, right. And the average uh, person, you know, is usually bankrupt within, you know, three or four years after, gra after graduating, excuse me, after, um, getting out of the league. And in Nelson's book, um, he says here that capital is a responsibility and should be treated with great respect. If not, then all parties involved will lose. And I just think that that's so profound because that speaks directly to what Mark was talking about, right? Having capital is great, but if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to implement it, right, then, then you're, you're bound to make really bad decisions with that capital. Yeah, and, and if you the benefit, I think, or the beauty of IBC specifically is that it it forces you to process making financial decisions in ways that you've never done before. 
right? Such a and, great and for, point. And for me, it's just created a heightened sense of awareness to where, like, every time I get excess cash flow, I immediately now want to go invest it. I've become like a tyrant for wanting to invest in things recently. Um, and, and that's done twofold, right? Because obviously I want to get to, to financial independence, but also because if, if I'm investing it, then my wife can't spend it. Right. And Amazon comes a lot less lately, you know, which is great. Um, I'm kidding. I, I, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Um, but no, I mean, sincerely though, right. Is that if, again, if it sits somewhere where I can use it, I'm going to spend it and consume it. And, and if I invest it and get closer to the goal, which is stop trading time for money, um, right, then that's, that's the purpose. Earn, what about you? Thank you. I, I, I kind of thought I was going to get left out. No, no, <laughs> never, no chance. Yeah, Come on, well, man. I appreciate that, guys. I do. It makes me think of, of two things. The first is that speaks to the value of this kind of conversation, which is when you know when you see and know what is going on, you will see and know what to do. Mm. And you can either do that by making your own mistakes, not ever having access to cash, and so never seeing opportunities, or you can learn from looking at other people who you see as successful. And so the second thing is related to that is later in, in Nelson's book, he talks about putting yourself in an environment to grow. He, he says you should join what, like a wealth club or something like that, because no one rises far above the environment which he came from. And so the ability to not talk around the water cooler about the index funds or the foreign foreign X market or dollar cost averaging, all those common things, but really seeking out advice from people who have been successful, who are on a path on, on a, at a direction and a lifestyle in a way where you actually want to be. And so being a part of this conversation just reinforces this, this idea of the golden rule and so valuable. When you see and know what's going on, you will know what to do. Joey, do you know a place that someone could be a part of this, this club? If only there was a place that we could tell people to go. I'll tell you what, let's just make it up right now wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle. If you're not a part of the inner circle, you are missing this live. You could have been a part of this conversation live. And if you have missed it, you still have a chance to go back and join and hear all the things that we're sharing in that community. Uh, be a part of our live Q and A's after this, not to mention all the things we have coming down the pike for inner circle members. Uh, I can't even go into it, but you want to be a part of it. And by the way, there's a free seven day trial. So you got nothing to lose. So join us, wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle. No, no doubt. What, what you just said, Ernie, was we are basically the sum of the people that we spend the most time around. And the inner circle is that place when you're surrounded around people who are doing and pursuing the things that you want as well. You're going to be that much more motivated to go. Like I'm a part of this group right now who's that, that's focused on health and fitness. And I've been more focused on that than ever before because they hold me accountable. They're taking pictures of their, their lunches and dinner. And I'm like, dang it, I guess I can't eat that second piece of pie today. Like without just knowing that I am, I'm letting this group down. Right. So when you have accountability, when you have others pushing you further than what you normally would push yourself, you will see greater results. So thank you for, for jumping into this discussion. We've got to actually go into that inner circle and have conversations with those who are listening to this live. 
As always, we appreciate you for listening and have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.